that's a growler. to another edition of Popcorn and Pickles, the podcast where we discuss and review movies, new and sometimes old, and sometimes just anything else we feel like talking about. I'm Letty. I'm John. And we're happy to be with you guys today. For this podcast, we're going to be discussing the 2013 movie, Saving Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Banks from Walt Disney, directed by John Lee Hancock, I believe, who interestingly has directed some other disney movies like the rookie um is one that comes to mind there was another really long boring one i don't remember but um he he has a reputation for taking good stories and just dragging them out for way too long so it'll be interesting as we discuss this whether or not that expectation was met or exceeded uh, in Saving Mr. Banks. So tell me, Letty, what did you think about this movie? Well, first, I want to talk about my expectations for this movie. I remember seeing this movie trailer back when the movie actually came out, and I thought, oh, I really want to see this movie. It looks really interesting. But it wasn't one of these you know, big box office hits that I thought, I have to see this in the theaters. I'll just wait till it comes out. And then when it came out, we just never got around to it. And so anyways, it was on my list of movies I'd wanted to watch. I myself was looking forward to seeing how they were going to portray Walt Disney. That was the, that's what really got my attention. And then I kind of knew it was something about Mary Poppins. Um, but overall, I was excited to see it. And I think I was the one who really pushed us to even watch this movie in the first place. You're definitely right on that. I know that I do remember hearing about this movie being cast. One of the things that was being spread everywhere from Entertainment Tonight to um, E! Hollywood News um, was that they had cast the ultimate actor, today's man's man, not man's man in like a manly macho type way, but he is America's sweetheart. As a, as a, as a kind of almost as a, is a dad kind of grandpa now in Tom Hanks, that Tom Hanks was cast as Walt Disney. Now, this is me being very candid and open as I try to be. Walt Disney is my ultimate man crush. Okay. I grew up watching this guy wanting to be him. I vividly, vividly remember as a kid the wonderful world of Disney coming on ABC at 7 o'clock in the evenings, Sunday evenings, or was it Saturday? It was either Sunday. No, I think it was Saturday evening. And, oh my gosh, being able to be good enough. I mean, it, my parents dangled that carrot over me. Like Christmas presents, you know, the week before. Oh, if you don't start behaving, you're not going to get to watch Disney tonight. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'll do anything. And so I remember seeing Snow White on the wonderful world of Disney on television for the first time. But more specifically, my most vivid memory is of Walt Disney and Tinkerbell. 
and Walt Disney being sprinkled with pixie dust and watching him descend down the wall and thinking to myself, wow, I wish I could be him. Now, as I look back at my life, in many ways, I, I, <laughs> I certainly tried to be him. I, I tried to, I, I went to film school. I went out to Hollywood. I, I, tr- I tried my hand at that and uh, unfortunately did not find the success that he did. I didn't have uh, a Mickey Mouse leading my way. But to say that I had expectation for this movie would be an understatement. Um, and in many ways, even Tom Hanks, in all of his Oscar glory, in all of his you can't see him in, in, in Castaway because he just becomes these people. I thought to myself, and I had to watch this twice, I will confess. Sorry, Tom. You, you just, you, di- you didn't get the job done. And the thing about Walt Disney is that Walt Disney was truly, truly a child at heart. And the only person that could really capture that would be, because he caught lightning in a bottle once, doing this very thing, Tom Hanks, when he played the role of, I think his name was Josh in Big. He, he was nominated for an Oscar, lost, but, but still nominated. And so, the first time I watched this, when we watched it together, and this is what Letty's going to be speaking of, uh, I, I just I couldn't buy into it. I just could not buy into Tom Hanks as Walt Disney, and it just destroyed everything. I could not suspend disbelief. And so I had to go back and watch it a second time, rewinding several parts, because there were times where I was laughing with so much glee that I missed lines. So I saw it twice. Letty saw it once. My first time, I thought it was the biggest bomb in the world. I thought it was a travesty, and I wanted the film negative burn. Okay, so let's talk about the plot and the story a little bit. Since this movie's a couple years old, we aren't going to worry about spoiling it for anybody. So if you have not seen this yet, alert, we're going to be talking about the whole movie um, as far as this goes. Tell me a little bit, can you summarize the plot for us, just so people kind of know what's going on, the basic gist? Sure. Um, this follows a historic story, um, from my understanding, more than simply inspired by true events, but based on true events. So much that at the end of the movie, they play audio recordings as if to say, see, it, this, this, this really, really happened. We're not changing history. This is what really happened. So I thought that that was interesting, but let's go back to the storyline. So I had no idea this actually happened. I grew up knowing Mary Poppins. Other than jumping off the monkey bars a few times with with an umbrella and it not working, I didn't have an affinity for Mary Poppins, this musical, or really, and I did not know anything about this story. But here you have, my, from my understanding, Emma Thompson playing Mrs. Travers. Mrs. Travers is the author of a series of books about a nanny, I think is the best word to use, magical nanny named Mary Poppins. For 20 years now, since Walt Disney fell in love with the books while reading them to his daughters as bedtime stories, he made a promise, a 20-year-old promise that's referenced several times through the movie, to his daughters to bring this 
character, Mary Poppins, to life. And interesting that the movie is called Saving Mr. Banks. And so what we have is Emma Thompson's story as Mrs. Travers and her slowly, incrementally, sometimes dragging, kicking, and screaming when it comes to control of a character that is so beloved to her. But what we later find out is that, well, I won't give that away just yet. But that's kind of the storyline. So we have the the production. We see how some of these songs from uh, Chim Chimney to A Spoonful of Sugar to Let's Go Fly a Kite. We see how these songs came to be, which to me made me really not so much want to watch Mary Poppins immediately, but it made me so excited about Lin-Manuel Miranda's version of Mary Poppins, which I'm sure he'll be playing the chimney sweep. That'll be coming out in the next couple of years. So that's kind of the basic storyline. So let's talk a little bit about the visuals. So as we already talked about, this movie was directed by John Lee Hancock. He, if you've seen some of his other movies, and the one, again, that draws to my mind is The Rookie starring Dennis Quaid. Uh, Interestingly, also had uh, Dennis Quaid's wife in that movie playing uh, the Mary Poppins that shows up in Mrs. Trevor's fantasies as a little girl. I'm trying to remember her name. I can't remember off the top of my head. She is Australian, and she starred as Sarah Walker in Brothers and Sisters. So look it up. You'll see who I'm talking about. But anyway, so the visuals of the Rachel Griffiths. Thank you, Rachel Griffiths. So the visuals of this were extremely picturesque. John Lee Hancock, while his movies, I believe, draw extremely too long sometimes, he has an eye. Either he has an eye or it's his director of photography, who I did not look up. Um, But this guy has the ability to simply capture light. And when I close my eyes and I think about the movie The Rookie, I imagine Dennis Quaid for the first time as this 40-year-old who's throwing in high school baseball practice a 95-mile-per-hour fastball and seeing the sun break through his arm as he's standing and sun rays just beaming through and around him. And, I mean, he would be later on known as the 40-year-old rookie. So the guy knows how to use light. And Colin Farrell... This amazingly handsome, beautiful man is playing uh, the uh, Travers Goff, who is the father of Mrs. Travers. And so as we see Mrs. Travers flashback into her uh, fantasies, and I'm going to use that word very strongly, fantasies of her childhood, she remembered it in such a way that the light made Colin Farrell, all I could think of was. I, I think he's he's either Scottish or Irish. I'm not. I'm going to say he's Irish. I think, but I thought of him as the Scottish McDreamy. The guy was that dreamy. I mean, he dreamboat. Dang, this dude looks good. And to have the light around him, there was a time where you could see the clouds drifting in the sky as he was talking to. Mrs. Travers' version of herself in these flashback fantasies. And it it was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. 
And in one scene, there's a stipulation that Mrs. Travers suddenly decides to make. And she does this, of course, because she's sensing she's relinquishing too much creative control of her characters. And she then demands and stipulates that the color red not be used in the film to the point that Walt Disney agrees. Are you freaking kidding me? This woman was nuts. Obviously nuts. Takes one to no one. I get it. But man, this woman swings like a bipolar drunkard. I tell you what. She goes from happy to, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm relinquishing control so many times. It just it kind of jerks your chain. It kind of jerks your chain. And if not for Golden Globe winning Paul Giamatti playing Ralph and her having some redemptive scenes showing her that she was a human being. And not only that, that even though she, I do not believe, ever had children, she had so much wisdom because she basically raised herself sister. And so, again, going back to the visuals, I thought it was beautiful. Thoughts? So, this is where my know nothing about movies is going to come out because I did not notice any of those things that John mentioned. Um, What I did enjoy visually, and one of the joys I think of watching movies, is that they're able to transport you to a different time and a different place. And you really do feel transported when you're watching this film back to the time period of Walt Disney and when they were developing this film, Mary Poppins. Additionally, you know, I did notice the lighting change, the atmosphere changed, obviously, you know, things like clothes and building structures, all that, as we then were transferred again further into the past as we're going and exploring Mrs. Travers' memories of what happened in her childhood. and. I just thought it was amazing just being transported while you're watching the movie and then transported once again um, into those flashback scenes. So I enjoyed watching all of that. And the other visually, and I guess it's not really about color or anything, but just seeing Walt on screen and seeing somebody portraying him in any fashion was pretty neat. One of the things that I'd like to discuss is the characters. And there's so many characters to talk about that. I personally would like to start off with the character of Travers Goff, played by Colin Farrell. So here we have a once Hollywood almost it guy after he broke through with his performance in Steven Spielberg's Minority Report opposite Tom Cruise. Here here we have this guy who is in very much... Uh, kind of in a redemptive part of his career, we've seen him show up in some really, really big movies. He, at one point, was too much of a risk, and in order to get a life insurance policy on him in case the guy did something crazy and died in the middle of a film, it was extremely expensive. So when this guy was you know, out with his call girls and doing coke and and drinking and speeding through uh, Paris in Lamborghinis, he was um, very much destroying his career to the point where he had to hit rock bottom, and he very much did. And now we've seen him trusted by Warner Brothers to play the adversary in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and now he's in this movie. So let me talk a little bit about what this movie is and what I've seen it as as I talk about this character, Travers Goff. 
here we have the Walt Disney Company sparing no expense, absolutely no expense in order to preserve what they believe is history, or at least a version of it. And so we have Tom Academy Award winner, Emma Thompson, Academy Award winner, Paul Giamatti, multi-Golden Globe winner, Academy Award nominee, playing the driver? Are you kidding me? Bradley Whitford, multi-Emmy winner, um, Jason Schwartzman, who is one of the co-creators of Amazon's Mozart in the Jungle. He also is a Golden Globe and Emmy winner. Um, And B.J. Novak, one of the creators of The Office, and they just spared no expense. Then on top of, if you watch the opening of this movie, it does not open with the current version of the Walt Disney Company or Walt Disney Pictures uh, opening that you would see at the beginning of a movie. It is using the classic Walt Disney opening as if Walt were alive today. And when I saw this the first time, it didn't really, really hit me. But when I saw it the second time, something said to me, wow, they made this one for the vault. And I don't mean the vault is in there going to put it away. I mean, this is preserving the history and spirit of Walt Disney. They've got the best actor, really, in the world playing Walt Disney. So for me, it was tough buying him. So what I had to do was I had to become more invested in other characters because I just was not believing, at least initially, Tom Hanks as Walt Disney just wasn't doing anything for me. And so um, I even went on YouTube and watched several of, of Walt's openings from the wonderful world of Disney and, and just saw how Tom just did not seem, at least for me, to capture that. And, and so it was a major problem. But it was easy for me to, and to fall in love with this character of Travers Gough. You have Mrs. Travers' father, at least the fantasy of her father, is this beautiful man who, are you kidding me, rides a white stallion? <laughs> what? And, and here he is, as we see in the movie, a kid who simply does not want to grow up. If he's playing fantasy games, when I say fantasy games, pretending to be a monster or uh, allowing his daughter to pretend that she's sitting on eggs, hatching eggs. This guy was Mr. Rogers. He was Mr. Make-Believe. And at one point, we even see him at work. And at work, he is playing out the role of Peter Pan, the boy who refused to grow up. And as we saw Mr. Goff, Travers Goff, descend and have to become an adult in order to support his family, we saw him slowly but surely and sadly become an alcoholic so much that Mrs. Travers as a daughter, as she remembers it, used to sneak alcohol to her father to relieve his suffering after he broke his back. So this guy, for me, was so easy to fall in love with because as I watched him, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the father that I wish and kind of want to believe that I am. And if you think about it, because we recently went to Disney World and I actually 
got to spend some really a good amount of time in Walt Disney's museum in Hollywood Studios, which was really empty, which kind of doesn't surprise me. But between that and the Carousel of Progress, the two things for me that truly are the only things that are kind of keeping Walt's spirit alive in that place right now and not being lost to just being the world's greatest resort. Because I had the opportunity to spend some time in that museum, I saw the documentary when he talks about Mickey Mouse coming to him for the first time, very interestingly, in a dream. And then he said that Mickey was his constant companion from that point on. Amazing how the centerpiece of Walt Disney World, I've never personally been to Disneyland, Disney World many times. The center of it appears to be Cinderella's castle. But the true center is the bronze statue of Mickey leading Walt. Because that's what it was. And as I watched this movie and remembering how he felt, Walt Disney, as a father, he said on Saturdays, because he was working so hard, it was his day, at least during the day, to take his two daughters so that his wife would get a break. And he said that as a father, it was so frustrating for him because there was nowhere to take his children. And so he saved up money and had a carousel built. And that's kind of where it started. And so as he's talking and referencing the 20-year-old promise several times throughout the movie that he's made to his daughters about bringing Mary Poppins to the screen, it dawned on me that Walt could not be that for his daughters in that he could not be Travers Goff. He was very much Travers Goff. Because Walt Disney was the boy who refused to grow up. And we see that. And now it suddenly made me realize the connection that Walt, whether he knew it or not, consciously or subconsciously, saw himself in Travers Gaunt. And so here we have this character, Mr. Banks. And the story is called Saving Mr. Banks. So now that I've talked a little bit about Travers Goff, Letty, why don't you talk a little bit about Mr. Banks and who he is in relation to Travers Golf? So in real life, actual history, Travers Golf is P.L. Travers or Mrs. Travers' father. Or obviously her last name was Golf, and she changed her last name at some point, I think in memory of her father, to Travers, which was his first name. So it's a little bit confusing. And Mr. Banks is the character from the Mary Poppins book who is basically modeled after Travers Golf. Now, going back to Colin Farrell, I think he did an amazing job. I Obviously, beautiful man to look at on screen. (laughs) and He played his role really well. Watching the transition from the beginning scene of the movie where you see him just playfully, obviously in love with his daughter, having a, a moment with her, and you think like, oh, this is such a sweet dad, and it kind of, quickly takes you on this path that you think maybe not everything is right in this story. And watching his demise, while it was sad, Colin Farrell did an excellent job portraying that. So I think I think his performance was was outstanding. Let's talk about uh PL Travers or Mrs. Travers, her mom portrayed in real life, who was played by Ruth Wilson. What are your thoughts on her? 
I thought she was absolutely magnificent. From the very first time I saw her on screen, her apprehension, her anxiousness, her nervousness just gripped me in a way that I just didn't like. And she very quickly became a very unlikable character for me. And as I sat back and watched, I was trying to figure out what it was that I did not like about her. It wasn't the performance. It wasn't that she wasn't pretty to look at. It, what was it? And then I quickly realized. To me, the way I see the world, everything is balanced. Sometimes things are 50-50. Sometimes they're 90-40, uh, 0.2, 0.3, And I know that doesn't make sense, but somehow that creates balance. I don't know. but. I say that because as I was watching this, here I was falling in love with the memory of Travers Goff as believed in her fantasy uh, portrayed by Colin Farrell. And the more I liked him, the less I liked his wife. And here he was, the boy who would never grow up, realizing somewhere deep inside her that somebody has got to steer this ship. It's not going to be him, so it's got to be me. To the point where there is a scene where we see Getty, who I, uh, I think is, the, is, is Mrs. Travers as a girl. Um, she's sitting down, and as her father comes home from work, he says, what are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm sitting on some eggs. And he talks to her and allows her to imagine and creatively speak about what she's doing to the point where her mother comes in and says, it's time for dinner. I need you to set the table. And Colin Farrell looks and says, she's busy right now. Can she do that later? She's laying eggs. The mother got so angry, stomped her foot and said, do it now. Colin Farrell lost his temper. Yelling at his wife, he said, she's laying eggs. And here we see, for me, the imbalance in the balance that created the balance of what is an emotional tug of war. Here we have Mr. Goff later realizing he can't be Peter Pan. He has to be Robin Williams from Hook, and he's got to grow up. And so he does, but he can't stand it. And the only way that he can stand to be in the adult world is by drinking. And as he goes further and further down this downward spiral, we see her spiraling out of control to a scene where she nearly commits suicide in front of her daughter. And we start to realize the trauma that is inside the mind of P.L. Travers why she can't let go of the memory of her father to be played out on screen as Mr. Banks so much that Tom Hanks, as Walt Disney said, Mr. Banks will be redeemed. He will be saved. I promise you. Because in the end, there is a beautiful scene as Walt Disney talks about his awful childhood and having to deliver papers and as a kid for a week 
I almost took over a Stars and Stripes newspaper delivery in Germany. And getting up at 3.30 in the morning was so much harder than I thought. And as Walt Disney was talking about what he had to do for both the evening and the, the, the day and the evening editions of the paper, he talked about how he didn't want to remember his father anymore with a belt wrapped in his hand saying, boy, you best get these things delivered. And I thought, oh my. So, as history would later play out, P.L. Travers would love the movie and then go publicly, say she hated the movie so much that she wanted no Americans involved in the screen or the stage adaptation of Mary Poppins. But the performances were riveting to see. I, I would not be surprised at all to, to hear that Mrs. Travers was on paper bipolar. Uh, or schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, let's simply say it takes one to know one. Maybe that's TMI. We can always cut that out if it doesn't if it doesn't jive here. But um, yeah, I, I, it was amazing to see and watch this woman yo-yo uh, within her fantasies and with what was going on in real life. About Ruth Wilson, I really want to say I I enjoyed her performance. I thought she did extremely well. Going back to Rachel Griffiths for just a moment. I think she's an amazing actress. I was really excited when she showed up in this movie as well. Her scenes were pretty short, but very powerful. The few minutes that you get to see her on the stage. Bradley Whitford, what else has he been in? I know I recognize his face, but I couldn't tell you what else he was in. He played and won Emmy Awards playing Josh Lyman on The West Wing. <laughs> We've been watching some of The West Wing lately. I was like, I know that guy. I'm really familiar with him. <laughs> so The West Wing. I love seeing him again. He gave an amazing performance as well. You may also remember him playing Mike. I think his name was Mike. I can't remember his last name, but he played the so cool Corvette driver in Adventures in Babysitting. I want to discuss, though, kind of in depth a little bit more. You mentioned him earlier, Paul Giamatti. He's a graduate of Yale University and son of former baseball commissioner Bart Giamatti. I always enjoy seeing him as an actor and. As you mentioned before, I thought it was amazing that he had a quote-unquote humble role in this story. I'm curious how true the role is. I'm guessing it is like an actual person. But compared to everyone else who was involved with making the movie, I mean, he was just, he was just the driver that he played. So probably the smallest role within the movie. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that correctly at all. But however, the moments that we saw between him and Emma Thompson were always amazing. The things they talked about were touching. What other things has he done? Most notably, at least for awards, he won an award for the Golden Globe winning performance. John Adams, the HBO miniseries. I'm trying to think. Uh, he was in uh, Lady in the Water with M. Night Shyamalan. He was he played Pig Vomit in Howard Stern's Private Parts. He played the gardener a small role, the gardener in uh, Sabrina with Harrison Ford and Julia Ormond. He, he, I think he had two or three lines in it, but he was in that movie too. Interesting. I guess I feel like I always see him in more serious roles. That's why I was asking. And this was definitely something much lighter and more upbeat. And I enjoyed seeing that side of his um, range. Um, and I also wanted to say, and this cracked me up, moving on to a totally different actor. 
BJ Novak because a lot of his character was very similar to The Office where he just kind of played a jerk. <laughs> so that, that kind of cracked me up because I was like, oh, it's kind of Ryan-ish. So that was, that was really funny to watch. And lastly, I, w- I want to talk about Tom Hanks. I know that you've talked a lot about him. I thought he gave a really good performance. And when I did a little bit more research on him portraying Walt Disney, this was the first movie that they had anyone playing Walt Disney. And so it was a pretty big deal for Disney to get anyone to do it. And they were kind of apprehensive. And when Tom took on the role, he really wanted to portray Disney accurately. There's a scene where Mrs. Travers walks in on Disney unannounced and you see him putting out a cigarette. And apparently uh, Walt Disney was a pretty big smoker. He would smoke about two packs a day. However, this was not something that he wanted the public to see because for one, he didn't want to set a bad example for children, but he also thought it would hurt the Disney image. And so he made it a point to never let anyone see him smoking. However, everyone knew that he was a smoker and they could hear him, you know, coughing as he's coming down the hall or he's just putting out a cigarette. And so in this film, you only see him putting out the cigarette because Disney still did not want, the Disney brand did not want to portray Walt Disney with a cigarette simply because he had tried so hard to never let that happen. So they kept that. But Tom, as an actor, lobbied to have it more realistic. And so you would notice scenes where you hear a coughing as you're coming down the hall because he's just finished smoking. And so Tom has a lot of those that he puts into the character. And so obviously Tom Hanks is an amazing actor. He put a lot into playing Walt Disney. He took the role very seriously, as did Emma Thompson and P.L. Travers. As you watch the film, Saving Mr. Banks, one of the things that Emma Thompson's character does is she insists on having the sessions where she's sitting down with the writer and the, and the two gentlemen who wrote the music and having those sessions recorded on cassette so that way they'll have her notes and we'll know without a doubt. So I guess, guessing for legality purposes, she wanted all of this recorded. So that's a pretty big part of the storyline as it progresses. She's, she's always the one making sure that she presses the button to start the recording before they discuss anything. And she mentioned that she wanted everything to be recorded. So at the very end of the movie, as the credits are rolling, you actually get to hear a small bit of the very first recording that was, that was done with the actual P.L. Travers. And that was really neat to hear. We'll come to find out there's apparently 39 hours worth of audio from these sessions that she was sitting in real life. And um, all of that was made accessible to, to all the, the major actors and actresses. And so Emma Thompson, in preparation for her role, actually listened to every single hour in order to prepare to play that role of, of, of um, P.L. Travers. So I thought that was, that was pretty amazing. So I want to talk a little bit more about Tom Hanks and his performance as Walt Disney. Again, I've already revealed that Walt Disney is in every way in shape and form the person that if, if I could be, that's who I would choose to be. Um, I think he encapsulates my spirit perfectly, uh, especially as somebody who likes to hide the fact that he occasionally smokes and to consider that he was smoking two packs a day and I'm not even, well, I'm not even close to that makes me feel better. But as an actor, and I say as an actor because I feel like I am in many ways an actor. I do play many roles in my life. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a cousin. I'm a best friend. So 
I don't want to imply in any way that I am in a disingenuous person when I say as an actor, but I also have training as an actor, having the opportunity to be trained by the uh, late, great Elaine Myers, who played Pinocchio on Broadway. I learned a lot from her. One of the things that I do in my character breakdowns and studying somebody that I want to portray is to define this person in a classification of what I would call today humanity. And I simply mean it like this. To break down whether this person is someone who likes to be served, someone who likes to serve, or somebody who simply serves themselves. And, and I don't mean that in any negative way. Uh, an easy um, picture to, to contemplate would be this. Imagine there being a restaurant. In the restaurant, uh, there are people who will come and look at the menu and they want to be wined and dined. And in this restaurant are people who are willing to serve and will do everything they can to bring about a, a good experience for the person who wants to be served. There's also a buffet. And there are people who will come into this restaurant simply to eat from the buffet. They don't need anyone doing anything like filling up their drinks or bringing them food or anything like that. They're perfectly fine serving themselves. And then in the restaurant, you have the people who are enjoying keeping the buffet stocked, bringing food and new experiences to the people that want to be served. And so with that, I have people broken down into three categories. And I understand that I'm painting with very broad strokes here, but I'm trying to be brief. And in doing so, if I were to play Walt Disney, I would ask myself, what kind of person is he? And to me, as portrayed in this movie, and for what I know about him, he's very much a server. He would be one of these guys who's trying to ensure that everyone is having a great time. If he were to be played in Beauty and the Beast, he would be Lumiere. If you remember some of the commercials advertising Disney in the, in the 90s after Beauty and the Beast was released, you'll very much remember Be Our Guest was always underscored in some way in these commercials. And so here you have the world's ultimate host in Walt Disney who serves, but he does it on his own terms. There was a scene where he was being asked for autographs. And instead of signing people's autographs, he pulled out pre-signed autographed cards. Makes me wonder if maybe those were the precursor to business cards. I really don't know. But Mrs. Travers completely balked at it. And it was hilarious. She thought it was so pretentious. And yet, if we go back to the early scenes where we find Emma Thompson in her hotel, which I noticed was also used in some of the California episodes of the TV show on AMC Mad Men, you'll see that her room is just outright completely overflowing with flowers and Disney, Disney plushies. And for me, I would find that so amazing. And so in the beginning, we have the stage being set that here is the world's ultimate host, a guy who is willing to spare no expense to keep a 20-year-old promise to his daughters to bring Mary Poppins to the screen. And at one point, he says to Mrs. Travers, you got to let me have her. You got to let the world have her. She's not just yours. 
And here, Mrs. Travers, who did not want to be treated this way, was being treated as if she were the belle of the ball. Walt did every single thing that to do to court that woman and build a relationship of trust so that he could keep a promise to his daughters and make millions and millions of people happy. And here, going back to that autograph scene, here you have Walt Disney, who is not willing to take the time to sign autographs, but on his own terms, like he did with his smoking, because he didn't want to set a bad example for the children, he would hand out pre-signed cards cards that he signed and on his own terms was willing to give that as autograph so that he could keep his energy focused on where it needed to be instead of worrying about who he had to sign to what inscription they wanted and being needed to needing to to um to in some way feel like a connection to the fans he shook hands he handed out pre-signed autograph cards and he was the ultimate host to the world in every way. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step out on a limb and I'm just going to say this. This movie, after watching it the second time, has dethroned Walt Disney's The Princess Diaries as my all-time favorite movie. Wow. That's pretty powerful because I know how much you like that movie. <laughs> and that's a conversation for another time. Going back to Emma Thompson for just a moment. The one scene I wanted to mention, and I won't give everything away, but just if you watch the movie, watch the relationship between her and that giant stuffed Mickey because it's hilarious. <laughs> I loved watching that progress. Her and the stuffed animal. Is that something that <laughs> I would do as well? I'd actually personalize it and be like, yes, you're a live thing now. <laughs> so. Let's see. I think we're kind of getting to the end here. Is there any other major players that you want to discuss? Not really. I, I think I'm pretty much done. I'll simply just wrap up by saying, you heard what I already said. Uh, I meant it, at least for now. Uh, and and I'm willing to, I, I am very much reserving the right to change my mind at any point simply because it's always now, isn't it? In some way or another, it's always now. But right now, yeah, Saving Mr. Banks just hit me in so many ways emotionally that I can't wait to watch it again, but I think I'm, I'm going to wait at least a few years. One thing I did want to mention quickly, for anyone who loves Mary Poppins, I watched a lot of Mary Poppins when I was growing up, and it was really fun to see the scenes where they were basically creating the music for Mary Poppins in the movie. Obviously, you know all the songs that are going to be in this movie. Um, or most of them are from Mary Poppins, but they redo some of them. So there's some, there's some changes. I'm sure there's some additional background music that I didn't really notice and seeing how they possibly came up with it or portrayed it initially hearing these songs, you're used to hearing a full score from the actual Mary Poppins and then hearing them just played on the piano is kind of interesting and fun as well. So I think it's safe to say that you would probably rate this movie at a 10 on a scale of zero to 10. I'm just going to be honest. It, it's it's to call it a ten would to, would to me in many ways tarnish it. So I it, it was just it was off the chart. It was just that good to me. And in closing, I just want to say this: I haven't seen 
the movie Mary Poppins starring Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews in some time. And I do not plan on going to revisit that. In a few years, one of my, another one of my man crushes, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is going to be revamping Mary Poppins for Walt Disney again. And so when that's released, and I'm not sure if that's 2018 or 2019, um, but when that's released, my plan is to watch that movie, watch Mr. Saving Mr. Banks again, and then watch Mary Poppins. Interesting tidbit kind of along those lines. While Walt was able to get the rights for the first Mary Poppins he did try to go back to P.L. Travers and get additional rights for some of the following stories and was unable to do so. So she absolutely refused. So that's probably why Disney is redoing the original or something along those lines because they really couldn't get the rights for the other stuff. Maybe they have since then, since everyone has passed. But initially, Walt did try to go and get rights and make sequels, and she refused. How would you rate this movie on a scale of 0 to 10? However you're going to rate the movie, whether it's on entertainment value, historic, preservation, whatever. Well, I'm going to stick to the standard that we've used generally, which is entertainment value. I was crying in this movie. It was really late when we watched it at home. And John initially, the reason he had to watch it twice was because he fell asleep the first time, just simply because of the hour. And although it was late, I was so into the movie. I was not anywhere near falling asleep and it was just exciting to watch it. I was completely immersed in this world as I was watching the film. So I would definitely give it a 10 as far as entertainment value is concerned. I would say that overall, the other huge thing that I really appreciated and enjoyed about this movie was that it did revisit so much of Mary Poppins, which I always loved. I think I said that before. What I did not realize was that it was actually a book series and Mary Poppins is probably for older people. You're like, duh, but I had no idea that there was books. And so not only was I excited to watch the movie and happy about seeing it. Now I'm thinking, Oh, I should go to the library and try to find these old uh, Mary Poppins books. So there are seven or eight Mary Poppins books in the series that, uh, that she wrote. And in the movie, she had only gotten to a certain point in her writing. So it seems like after this movie came out, she continued to write Mary Poppins. Um, stories, not all of them in the order that they happen. Apparently, the last few books were Mary Poppins doing something that had happened in the past. So, not all of them progress the storyline. Sometimes they're just revisiting things that have happened in the first initial set of books. So that was that was fun. So it gives not only did I enjoy the movie, but it gave me other things to look forward to in the future and seeing all those Mary Poppins scenes and music and all that again was was highly enjoyable as far as I was concerned. So in saying that, I think we've pretty much beat this movie up as much as we possibly can. Um, as far as who we would recommend to see this movie, anybody. This is a movie for everybody, for the whole family. If you love Mary Poppins, the book series, love Mary Poppins, the movie or the musical or anything with Mary Poppins, you're going to enjoy this movie. If you like any of the actors slash actresses, you will also enjoy this movie. And if you are a Disney fan, you're going to love this movie as well. I believe that there is a huge, huge segment of the population that will not enjoy this movie. Uh, people that won't enjoy this movie are children. I think that this is very long and it's very boring and will be extremely boring for children. Unless you find some kind of connection 
to Tom Hanks, Colin Farrell, Emma Thompson, John Lee Hancock, who is known for his long, boring movies. You're not going to enjoy this movie. So if you don't have some type of draw, some type of affinity for a character, an actor, somebody in this movie, I would, I would totally say avoid it like the plague. That does actually bring up a good point. When I said it's for everybody, I think I was thinking in my mind it was family friendly. There's nothing inappropriate about this movie. So you can watch it with the little ones in the room and they're not going to have their ears burning <laughs> from from being around this movie. Although, yes, I seriously doubt they would have, be entertained in the least from this film. That's also another way of me protecting this movie. Not everyone should just watch this movie. <laughs> So with that, thanks everyone for listening. And just a quick reminder, we are part of the Growler Media. So you can find us on growlermedia.com. We have a page there. More often than not, you can find us on Facebook. We actually do check that page pretty regularly. So find us on Facebook. Leave comments or suggestions if you want to. Um, Be sure to like us. You can also rate us on iTunes. You can rate the podcast. I was unaware of this until recently, but there is a rating feature to rate the podcast and so if you give us a good rating that will increase our visibility amongst the other podcasts in itunes so if you like us rate us and if you don't like us you can still rate us <laughs> along with the ratings be sure to subscribe and if you do go to growler media you can check out some of the other podcasts they have since this is disney related and if you are a disney fan check out the beastly minute which is a fun podcast uh, going through Beauty and the Beast minute by minute. So check that out. And there's some other podcasts out there too. So anyways, that's all for us. And we'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys next time. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.